And um, we just decided 2012 we would leave Manila and we did it. It's like, what script are you playing to? Are you the author of your own script? Or are we playing to this predetermined kind of franchise script that, you know, privileged Metro Manila kids get pushed through the private school system and it's assumed that they're going to come out the other side, whatever, the business leaders and executives and creatives that the world supposedly needs. And then we romanticize it through the ideals of whatever um, institution we were put through. But at the end of the day, it's still very much the t a template. And I think that it, um, I think that if there's one thing I'm grateful about being raised a bit counterculturally as a, as a Christian, it was to kind of almost question all scripts. I'm pretty happy that questioning the script, um, you know, the pandemic did it for all of us. It kind of just threw a blanket and said, why, why are we living this way, right? And I'd be sitting there and thinking, are we just creating another machine? Are we just creating another, another kind of iteration of the urban rat race? There were several features of our survival plan. So one was a universal basic income across the company, meaning whether me as a founder and like creative director of the company or my wife who's the GM or the guy, the line cooks, we all would make the same amount of cash every, every, every month. And there's a mantra that says in, in the unschooling way of thinking that, you know, fish swim and bir birds fly, fish swim and humans learn. And um, what that means to say is that you can't really stop a human from learning. That's what makes a human a human. We've made ourselves believe and we've kind of joined the group think that school only happens in these industrial and capital driven models. And so, and so school looks more like a factory. I'll be frank about it. It's not about information any longer. Like that's the irony of the information age, that the information is so ubiquitous. It's about teaching children how to navigate and learn from themselves, for themselves. People need to kind of lift that, kind of that suspension of disbelief about the school system. Let's get real. This thing is a new thing. The school system as we know it is not, is in, in the grand scheme of the human story, it's not, it's not how we've always done things. That was Kido Kosho. My name is JP Alipio and you're listening to the Wildcast Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is JP Alipio, your host for the Wildcast Podcast. And uh, welcome back to the second season of the Wildcast Podcast. Here we are today, still in quarantine, still under the pandemic. And uh, here I am, still producing um, great conversations with so many interesting people for the Wildcast podcast and I'm super excited, super excited to start this new season because uh, we are bringing to the Wildcast some very, very interesting people. Um, last year, we ended with Patagonia, which was such an amazing episode. And of course, I'd like to thank all of you 
who have been following the Wildcast, who have discovered the Wildcast podcast over this difficult time that we are all in, this pandemic that we find ourselves in. And um, I mean, I wouldn't be honest if I if I didn't tell you that uh, the Wildcast has been part of my own therapy getting through this pandemic. I mean, talking to different people and even listening to the feedback of everybody who has been listening to the Wildcast. That has been so amazing uh, from all of you that uh, you've been listening to these stories, listening to these conversations, learning, getting insights of your own from all of these amazing guests that we've had over the Wildcast. And I thank you all for for that. And for the second season, we are actually starting this podcast, this Wildcast, with uh, such an amazing person. I call him the Mr. Fantastic of the Philippines because I think he probably, more than a lot of other Filipinos, took a different path, a different story that uh, not only is it his own life, his, he's an entrepreneur, he's an educator, a coffee connoisseur, surfer. I mean, this guy is amazing. Uh, Kido Kosho, he started uh, El Union in La Union. I mean, this guy, he is also probably one of the few people who dropped out of college and really took to heart sort of an alternative way of educating himself, his kids. And these are the things that we talk about during this podcast. He, he takes, uh, which is why I call him Mr. Fantastic, because um, his kids are, how would you say it, uh, took a different story to their education. He calls it uneducation, essentially. And these are smart kids. If you talk to them, they they know so much about the world. They are very, they're very educated, but not educated in the in the sense that most of the rest of the world knows. And kiddo, and I talk about this uh, uneducation uh, during this episode, which was recorded last year. And I think it's very important because uh, a lot of parents now are struggling, you know, they're struggling with with educating their kids during this pandemic. And it's so difficult to really navigate this whole pandemic education of your kids. But then Kiddo points out that, you know, learning doesn't stop whether school stops. You know, school is such a, a new concept to humanity, if you think about it. And, you know, this corporate school and and he himself is a product of basically this uneducation and his kids are now the product of this uneducation. And so we talk about this and, and, and um, his business, how they've navigated the pandemic, uh, you know, setting a, setting a universal, universal basic wage for their company, which includes himself, essentially, just to get by, just to get all of the employees, including themselves, passed the hard part of the lockdown during the pandemic. And so, so, so interesting topic that you'll be hearing on this very first episode. 
which is why I chose it as the first episode of of the Wildcast for our second season because I think this is something that will resonate with so many people, so many business owners who are having a tough time navigating the business side of the pandemic, so many parents who are having a tough time navigating the education side of the pandemic with their kids and just, you know, everybody in general, just navigating who you are, the values that you have, and the future for everyone. Before we continue with the podcast, I would like to invite all of you, all of my listeners, all of the followers of the Wildcast to help support this independent podcast, this independent content creation that we started last year. Over the last few months, we've been thinking about how to make this whole enterprise sustainable and also independent. Uh, so one of the things that we thought of was if you could all help this podcast by buying me a coffee. And uh, it's as easy as clicking on a link and helping the podcast grow, helping the podcast continue producing all of this content, pro- continue to to get all of these amazing guests on the podcast simply by buying me a coffee. All you have to do is go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and you can buy me one, three, or five coffees or even more coffees if you want. And this essentially supports the production of the wildcast editing, getting our partners, getting... getting um, all of these interesting people on the Wildcast. It keeps the lights on. Uh, as you know, this is a difficult time for all of us. And uh, and we would really like to continue to produce uh, these amazing stories, these amazing conversations. And with the help of all of you, the followers of the Wildcast, we will be able to bring in more guests, bring in more interesting conversations, bring in more interesting insights, simply by you buying me a coffee for me to have that drive and to have um, that kick, that caffeine kick to keep producing uh, more episodes of the Wildcast podcast. Thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. Uh, you know, I've been, uh, we've been chatting over the last few months and, and parang, I really think you're... Your life and your way of life at the moment is very interesting, and uh, I'm Thank sure you. a lot of other people will be interested. Of course, you've been featured a number of times in Grid magazine and mm-hmm. and a couple of other publications, and of course the videos. Um, but uh, I don't know if this is your first podcast. Is it? Uh, I've I've done a few like guest things throughout the quarantine. Right. The right. last one was with this kind of spirituality and meditation podcast nila nikita oh, okay yeah and, right right i've seen a few of those yeah uh paliwanag i think is what it's called mm okay uh, okay yeah. yeah there's parang the podcast it's either baking and i the the pandemic people started doing podcasts and baking which yeah. i've been doing both so. yeah i saw may request pala from one of our staff pahingi daw ng biscotti <laughs> sure <laughs> sure yeah. Sayang si Troy is here. Eh. He, okay. Th- yeah, Troy was Troy just left actually. He was here for his birthday 
And then he went okay. down. Um, you know Troy, right? My my brother-in-law. From UP, Troy? or No, uh, Troy Bernardo. He's like, you probably oh. see him around yeah, that yeah, area. Yeah. He's like a tall, mestizo guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, skinny yoga yoga person. Oh, uh, yeah. He got they, stuck. They all... he got he got stuck, stuck there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, with three pairs of clothes and decided to stay. So he's he's been there since March. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Troy. Uh, yeah, so there, he was here. There, I could have sent something. There, there are a few hundred meters down, uh, up the road that way, lang. Ah, uh, okay, okay, so, yeah. 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 Every, uh, everybody there is parang in this one small community in Urbiston, though. You know that that yeah. that area. Yeah, yeah, like maybe two or three barangays. Of people and that's yeah that's kind of the surf town and then san fernando's right. a big city well small compared to baguio but big for La Unión. yeah 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 so maybe just to start um maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you made it to la union what what's your background and how do you make it there mm. you know that's that how we got here depends on when we start the when we decide to start the story, but it's a, um, I think the short of it, and then we can get into the details. Um, well, I, I grew up abroad in Hong Kong and Singapore as a kid. And the Philippines was really kind of a promised land for me. And the idea that we could live in a place with beaches and, and we could be close to the outdoors and close to my cousins. And um, we would only spend summer here once a year. So the Philippines was always a goal for me. Um, I don't mm. know if that's unique for kids who grow up abroad, but for me it was. And then we moved here. I finished whatever whatever you want to call schooling. That's a. I think we'll get into that later. But when I when I started working, um, yeah, that didn't quite work out. The short of it, and I started looking for a community elsewhere because. I think Metro Manila as a community started to grate on me and started to dissatisfy what dissatisfy me and provide what me and Ami, my wife, really wanted, which mm-hmm. was just our time. And that was, yeah. um, I think, the inflection point was when we had our, our daughter, our first child in 2011, and we were, we were just set on leaving. We said, you know what, we would happily take very little money if we could just have every day with our daughter. And at, by that point, we had been surfing in La Union for about four years. We shared an apartment okay. with some friends. And we thought, you know what? We already rent one-third of an apartment. If we stayed there the whole month, we're only paying one-third of a La Union rent, which was very cheap back then. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. we just decided 2012, we would leave Manila. And we did it. Um, by 2012, we had Dylan, our second baby, um, we didn't intend to have him that soon, but, um, the factory was open, but it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> but it, um, uh, but it wasn't, we didn't think that we'd have a baby in 2012. We thought maybe after we settled into La Union, but, um, we, we left Manila with a six week old, I think he must've been six to eight weeks old when we decided to move to LU permanently. Okay. And but you were you were quite young when you when you moved to Lonyon, weren't you? How yeah, old were you at the um, time? I think I had just turned thirty when we moved here right. for good. Okay, okay. Yeah, Ami's five years younger, so she was twenty five, twenty six, oh, wow. maybe. Okay. Yeah, 
and we we started having kids when she was 23 and I was 27. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's uh that's that's sort of like a big life decision to be making. I mean, for for Ami, she was 23, 25, uh yeah. and and you were you were 30 when you, when you moved to La Union. Yeah. Was there like a I mean, I I understand in the Philippines, you know, we're we're very close knit with our families. Mm-hmm. How hard was it for you to actually like disengage from the whole family is probably in Manila and then you, right, know, right. you and your family go to La Union. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? My parents left the Philippines when they were young and they always encouraged me to get out the door if I needed to. Like, um, yeah, by the time I was in my 20s, they thought it was a great idea. Like I would toy with the idea of moving to La Union because I'd gotten really hooked on surfing and the life here, being at the beach every day. And um, I had kind of toyed with the idea with them and they'd always thought it was a good idea. So I'm not, mm. I think that having my parents in that regard as accomplices in our plans was really helpful and it, uh-huh. it made it a little bit easier um, for, for us to, to go. I think also, yeah, like my, my history, I guess, with my, I guess I'll get into like why... La Union made sense for us. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, we we're kind of we think a lot, we read a lot. We we're, my wife and I. I think the main thing that um, the main kind of bond that we have is that we see the world in a similar way, and we want to experience the world in a similar way. And we question everything. Um, we like to question ourselves a lot and our choices. And so um, we're lucky to have family. Even her family is quite. Um, encouraging and very zen like my father-in-law he's probably the most zen guy I know you know he's been oh. a vegetarian since the hippie times <laughs> oh okay yeah, yeah. hippie he, family <laughs> uh, even though even though he's um he's uh he's an executive now and he's got a career and everything um they are of a progressive sort um mm-hmm. yeah even though I grew up in a very kind of almost fundamentalist Christian background, for some reason, there was that foundational kind of progressive thought with my, in my family. And they've, um, I think the thing that attracted my folks to a very radical kind of religion in, and Christianity um, was that sense of yearning for something meaningful and having mm. a full life. And um, even though I no longer share that um, particular culture with them or I've, I've kind of moved on from that subculture um i think that was nurtured in me as a as a youth as a young person that it was fine to think differently so mm. i family is a big part of why i'm here my own family and upbringing um we were homeschooled in the 90s when we moved back oh you were homeschooled as well okay yeah so yeah. yeah so abroad it was kind of this is international school system coming back to the philippines Wait, there's a kid knocking on the door. Wait, Langa. My yeah, life. Go, go, go. Come in, come in. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were homeschooled in the 90s when we moved back home, partly for language reasons, partly because mm-hmm. my folks had a conviction about their faith and thought okay. that this would be a better way for us to kind of express that conviction. And, um, 
that that was weird in the nineties. Like when you homeschooled, when you homeschooled in twenty twenty, you're considered you're thought yeah. to be kind of cool. Uh, in the nineties, you were not thought to be cool. You were not. Um, it was not desirable. You were thought to be weird. You were made fun of. Um, family would criticize you. Like um, you know, if my folks weren't around, it wasn't uncommon for a tito or tita to kind of awkwardly inquire upon a choice that you didn't even really make, right? For mm-hmm. oh, bakit kayo nag, bakit kayo nag homeschool? Bakit? What's wrong with Catholic school? What's wrong with private school? Diba? You're going to be yeah, weird. Yeah. What about your social life? Um, I think those foundations paved the way and made it easy for me to just right, change right. the script. Just to change, because I grew up outside of the script. Yeah. You were already an outlier when you were, you know, in the 90s when you were young. And, I, and your parents already started that. So it's actually within your script. Your, I mean, your family script to be doing what you're doing now. No? Right, right. Like that, that word, the script, is actually something that I've always used as a kind of as a device in my own life and in my friends' lives when we talk about life. It's like, mm-hmm. what script are you playing to? Are you the author of your own script? Or are we playing to this predetermined kind of franchise script that, you know, privileged Metro Manila kids get pushed through the private school system and it's assumed that they're going to come out the other side, whatever, the business leaders and executives and creatives that the world supposedly needs. And then we romanticize it through the ideals of whatever um, institution we were put through. But at the end of the day, it's still very much a template and I think that it. Um, I think that if there's one thing I'm grateful about being raised a bit counterculturally as a as a Christian, it was to kind of almost question all scripts, right? Mm-hmm. Now that that was harmful for a very long period of time, um, as religion can be. But that practice of daily just questioning things ultimately right. was my undoing. <laughs> Ironically, that helped me think my way out of that kind of time in my life and that place and write something for my own of my own and mm-hmm. um and Ami and I have always kind of been we've always been equals and we've always kind of talked we endlessly talk about it to this day mm-hmm. about what we're going to be doing over the next 10 years and what uh, it's interesting kind when of you measured talk about against what being, we're doing today it's yeah. interesting when you say counterculture christian i mean coming from the philippines Christianity mm. is basically the mainstream culture. So when you talk about being from this yeah. counterculture Christianity, it seems like it do- it doesn't really connect for me because like like being Catholic and mm. I mean most of the country is Catholic, most of the country is Christian. That is considered what is the mainstream. That's the most accepted. That's that's the you know culturally appropriate thing right. uh, in in the, in this in this country. But then you come from this type of Christianity and upbringing that is very much different. You went to, uh, you were homeschooled. You weren't sent to a Catholic school or a Christian school or whatever. Mm. Um, your parents encouraged you to, to essentially explore your world, no? which is, which is somewhat, mm. as, as you say, you know, it's, it's counter to what traditional, say Christian Filipino values are where it's about it's a lot more conservative. Um, there's a lot more of uh, you know just do what we do, follow what we do, and that that's the more common mm. um, 
theme for mo- for more Filipinos and and it seems like for your counterculture Christianity um that wasn't the case no? it was like complete opposite of that yeah you know it was a weird um I've I've kind of deconstructed <laughs> all of all of all that I went through I guess philosophically religious in the religious like theologically um just kind of I continue to comb through why things happened the way they did and why um why we're continually trying to push a different story and um yeah the 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 past my past in Christianity was so kind of it's it's common and yet it's not that common in that it was yeah. quite radical it was a very kind of um kind of extreme sect that believed in extreme purity extreme devotion very rigid um practices and disciplines of meditation mm-hmm. and prayer and fasting from a very young age and i think that that's um it's both the best and worst thing that I could have asked for. Um, I, I do recognize that it's not that common for people in their 20s to kind of explore, explore their thought as much as we did, I think, in our early 20s. Hello, did we freeze? Um, I the think froze. so. Oh, no, it's okay. It's fine. Uh, the audio it's is okay. fine. Yeah. 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 Okay, there. Yeah, parang yeah, yeah. The I guess the 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 part of the church that we were raised in was this weird hybrid. I'm trying to not be offensive about it because um, it was ultimately unpleasant for me, and it was mm-hmm. um, it was ultimately kind of possibly the worst thing that I've ever experienced because it was I'll call it a spade. It was psychologically and emotionally abusive, ultimately okay. and controlling. And there were certain kind of, I use this term very carefully, but it, there were some cultish practices in, mm-hmm. the, in, in that Christian subculture. And it was a mishmash of this right-wing kind of Bible Belt influence and really traditional Filipino Catholicism and Opus uh-huh. Dei discipline. Oh, and wow. it was like this <laughs> mishmash of that. So um, it's, it's strange. You know, we, um, I was just looking at memes about, about Trump supporting Christians in the U in the U.S. and I'll be frank. Yeah, that's I'm, like something that's weird, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, it wasn't beyond us to speak and pray and think and act like many of those people, but at the same time, kind of grafted into this Filipino Catholic experience, and it was its own animal. And mm-hmm. um, when you and we were kind of sheltered and raised in a bit of a bubble where we were encouraged to kind of stick to our own, right? And to right. distrust the world outside. And um, the upside of all of that was bec- you can't, if you're, if you're going through these daily disciplines of, like I, I remember as a teen, I started praying and meditating for an hour a day. Daily, wow. uh, daily. As a teen, yeah, as a teen, and for about eight years. The of rebellious my... time, and right? You're praying daily, <laughs> right? And then um, I remember fasting for about eight years straight. Um, wow. Every Friday, I would have nothing but water up until I think Friday midnight until Saturday midnight, just to focus and to pray and to um, meditate better. And I can attest to 
the value in all of these things outside of a controlling environment. But because whether you do it out of guilt or com- compulsion or your own volition, I think that these practices, they kind of create good habits of introspection. Um, those are the very things that help me write my own story and not buy into a franchise that somebody else made. And right. um, that's what ultimately brought us here. And like you said, people have kind of, I'm, I'm pretty self-aware that people have looked at how we're deciding to raise a family. Um, I think that we moved out of the city before this current, there's a current trend now where people are moving to the provinces. I know. Yep. Especially with the pandemic. Parang yeah. ngayon, it, it's actually shown that we can work remotely. So you can yeah. work from anywhere. And, and and as long as you have a good internet connection, then you can you can basically live wherever you want. Right. Yeah. And yeah, sorry, I lost my I lost my thought. Oh yeah. We you know, we had we had chosen this kind of life a long time ago. I'm very aware that people know noticed that. And um it's kind of be, I'm pretty happy that questioning the script. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the pandemic did it for all of us. It kind of just threw a blanket mm-hmm. and said, Why why are we living this way, right? For the good yeah. and the bad. And I'm I'm quite sober about um I guess celebrating the good things about the pandemic because obviously people suffer. Um, yeah. Terrible things have happened. P- friends have lost their loved ones um, because of this pandemic. And uh, at the same time, there are there are these silver linings where we have been forced to ask important questions. We've been forced to be alone with ourselves and to think a lot. Like I even had to do some inner work during the pandemic and just explore. Mm you know, my, my reasons for being and the things that I had felt that I'd suffered through that hadn't confronted. And, um, yeah, here we are. And we continue to write a, a better, we tried to write a better script and right. Yeah. The, those practices were, were essential to bring us here. So while I regret certain kind of harmful parts of organized, really organized and radical religion, um, they created these, they, they forced me into practices almost mm-hmm. that um, were ultimately helpful. And it's a strange, right. it's a strange irony. <laughs> it's sort of a cir- circular thing. No? It comes yeah. full circle for you. Um, when you moved to La Union, it was at a time when La Union wasn't even called LU, right? I mean, this is, mm. it, was called it wasn't common to call it LU. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. in a way, oh. your, your, your place uh, started that, because you, your place is called L, L Union. Mm. And, and, um, and how was it setting up a business being, being, you know, not from La Union, uh, essentially, how mm. was it for you? Um, moving to that small town, San Juan. In 2012, it was already a big surfing town, but still not as big as it is now, right? Yeah, definitely not. Um, well, the name LU, I think surfers would abbreviate that. I remember showing up here and seeing an L.U. t-shirt and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, okay, that's what they call it. But it was just a very small group of, of um, surfers at the time that were nicknaming it that. And... Um, yeah, when we moved here in 2012, it was pretty organic for us. It was pretty natural because we had spent so much time here on weekends. Okay. Like, so two or three weekends in a month. Ami was still, I think when he started coming here, Ami was still in school in UP. Mm-hmm. And I remember because when she did her 
when she graduated, I was pretty dumbfounded at how well she did. I was like, you didn't study. Like I was with you every weekend <laughs> and you hardly <laughs> like you just go to school three, four times a week. And then we go to the beach and you did really great. And then she said, because I listen at class. <laughs> right, right. So um, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, when we started, when we moved, did eventually move, it was, you know, people don't see that for about five years, four years before that, we were, we were already involved in this community. We were already coming here often and spending most of our weekends in the year here. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that scary for us. Um, it was mm -hmm. already kind of like home and there were friends right. that were on the same path. We may have been kind of early adopters in that we up and moved here, but it was mainly because of necessity because you can't, you know, without children, we could pack a backpack, get on a bus and be here within an hour. We could make the decision and be on the bus, right? In, right. Get on a bus in Cobao. We're from QC, right? So um, with the kids, there's a little more planning and preparation that that's involved. And the younger the kid, the more stuff you have for some reason. And that's the harder right. it is that's to right. travel with that kid. So I think that's one of the main things that pushed us to to stop going home to Manila. was just, it's really hard to travel with kids. So at first it was staying here for like half the month. It extended to three-fourths of the month. And now yeah, we haven't been back to Manila in almost a year. Partly thanks to the mm. to the pandemic, but um, even last year, I think we went home maybe five or six times to visit family, you mm -hmm. know, a big event like a birthday. But it's um, our life is very much here, and right. it happened slowly. Um, I almost and it's you know the pandemic. It feels slow and it feels fast. Like mm. I don't know how to explain it. Like That's when you true. look back. I mean yeah, it's it's now it. When I mean, it's now November. Like, it's almost December, <laughs> so we have gone yeah, through the whole year yeah. just like that. <laughs> right, and when, when I look at our La Union story, um, it's also it also feels like that. Like my, I remember so freshly these guys. Look, my daughter's right there. <laughs> hey. I remember <laughs> this is Tito JP. He's in Baguio. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I remember it, it's so fresh that um, we would, she was just a newborn. I was teach I was floating her in the ocean, and now they're surfing with us. They can swim mm. out in the deep with us. Um, she's nine years old. The others are Dylan is eight and Adam is six. And mm -hmm. time is really it's like the pandemic in a sense that it's so clear, but it seems so quick. Sorry, yeah. there's a yeah. bit of ambient noise because these guys are coming in and out. Of the room. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I can clean it up later. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay. I'm good. But uh, in a way, you guys started the trend of the businesses there, no? In San Juan, it, it seems like you were one of the first um, businesses that set up, and you know, you serve specialty coffee and all of these things. Um, and now there's, right. I don't know, there's maybe ten or twenty other other businesses, uh, including up all the way up to San Fernando. And other parts of La Union, and how right. does it feel for you to be one of those leaders? And how has the community changed since you started? Before we continue, I would like to invite all of you to this new initiative, which we are just starting right now. It's called Buy Me a Coffee, and buying me a coffee will actually help support 
the Wildcast. It's going to help us produce these episodes, and it's also going to help us keep ourselves independent by the support of all of you listeners, all of you who have enjoyed the Wildcast over the last year to help support in the production of the Wildcast and, and getting all, all of these amazing guests by simply buying us a coffee. So we signed up for this new, um, basically it's a, it's a content production support program which is called Buy Me A Coffee. And you can easily support the podcast by buying us a coffee. You can, all you have to do is go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast. And there you can choose to support us by buying us as many coffees as you want. If you want to buy us one coffee, if you want to buy us five, or if you want to caffeinate us, for a long, long time, you can buy us even more coffees to help support the Wildcast, help support keeping this an independent podcast where we are able to get guests, get quality guests from all over the world. And we plan to get quality guests from all over the world this year and share their insights with all of you. So... We have it in the show notes, buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast. And please help support the wildcast by buying us a coffee, keeping us caffeinated, and keeping this production independent. Thank you so much to all our listeners. Mm. Well, I do see that, yeah, we were one of the first kind of independent we're um, independent kind of small specialty businesses. There was no specialty coffee in in La Union and very, very few specialty shops in the Philippines at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was about seven, eight years ago. And um, it was a different town in the sense that it was much slower. Um, the pandemic, of course, has revealed that it is very much the same town. Like without the yeah. influx of Manila visitors every week, it is a slow and pretty charming place to be i have no regrets being Mm -hmm. here so you know it's yeah this year has really reminded me a lot about what i love about la union is that it's a human scaled town it's a human based kind of place and i'm sure you feel the same way in la trinidad in baguio yeah definitely definitely we're not at the mercy of a machine we're not at the mercy of this kind of urban industrial capitalist machine and I, I know that sounds you know very left-leaning and uh but it's true like i, I don't it's think it's true, left-leaning yeah. at all i think it's about balance and um yeah i've seen la union go from that sleepy town where when we started business here we could we'd go home at 8 30 and we'd need to have dvds at home because yeah. there's nothing much to do after mm-hmm. having dinner and a few beers with your friends, um, everyone would go to sleep. Now it's become a, you know, it, the past, I'd say, three to four years, it's become a, known for parties like the millennials yeah. and Gen Z. Yeah, they have really kind of created their own thing. And I, I have no illusions that it didn't kind of trace some of its energy back to our 
our little independent mm-hmm. shop that inspired a few other independent shops to yeah. start up. And so I do know that people saw that story. I think the age of social media helped that happen for the good and the bad. And I think that, um, you know, business-wise, it's wonderful. You get to, we get to build a, a company on, on our terms. We get to in, incorporate very human values, very humanistic mm-hmm. kind of ideals um, in the way we run our company. We get to treat, we try to treat everybody like equals. Um, this, the whole attempt to survive 2020 um, really put our values and our convictions to the test. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of we've, it's, it's got good and bad parts. Like when you bring up the environment question, when you bring up the, ni- the question of gentrification, you start to see double-edged swords, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I see economic progress where people that didn't have businesses now have businesses. People that didn't have cars and motorbikes can now afford the payments on cars and motorbikes. More kids get to go to school now. But at the same time, it does pose certain questions about the impact of, the, of this culture that we have participated in. And, um, you know, I, I also try to think about the future of our community. And I've now just become, I am one voice among many. I do, th- I do recognize that I'm one of the more recognizable voices and identities in town. Um, I do recognize that our, our little independent coffee shop was part of the spark that became a movement that is now alive and well. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I've seen it kind of move from that sleepy state to something to progress to something at a fever pitch in 2019. Like almost 2018, 2019. Oh my God, it's like, yeah. wow. <laughs> it, was, it was insane. I'm sure Baguio was similar. Same, like, same. Yeah, yeah the, same. the economic kind of growth of the Philippines. I think that the growing middle class that had a lot of youth, the youth sector was so robust and they were kind of moving, moving up economically and they could afford to travel. And so we experienced the benefits of that. But there did come points, you know, I'd be out late and I run a bar, I'm sitting in our bar and sometimes trabajo na siya. It was just work sometimes. And I'd yeah. be sitting there and thinking, are we just creating another machine? Yeah. Are we just creating another another kind of iteration of the urban rat race and are, are, you know yeah speaking of the you talk about gentrification and it's the one gripe i have with san juan is yeah. that everything is as expensive as bgc yep. like if i go to if i go to you know a, a clean beach or even 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 your shop some of the stuff is a bit more expensive than yeah. Because here in Baguio, we tend to have we don't have those, you know, like mm. the the prices here are affordable to locals. Yeah, you know, um, if you're a local, you have a job here, you'll probably be able to afford to eat in, you know, uh, cafe by the ruins once a week or mm. or twice a week or something. But then that that whole stretch of you know all of the shops along that that row tend to be so expensive that. It, I, I really feel it prices out a lot of the locals who actually live there. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, you've probably noticed this during the pandemic that mm, probably 90% of your customers are not from San Juan. Yeah. They're not from La Union. So, yeah. 
So as opposed to like here in Baguio, the shops that have actually done well, like the Hill Station, and you know they've they've done okay. They're 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 surviving. Yeah, they're the shops that also cater to locals. You know the prices are you know prices that locals can afford. And and how do you respond to that? Yeah, you know what that was one of the kind of um, it was a really important moment during the pandemic when we were facing reopening. Um, we have we have now seventeen people on staff. We have an office, we have a roaster, we have a small lab, and then we have a bar and kitchen. So we have several departments mm. in the company, different roles. And to float that many people, if you just do the math of wages, and we're um, we're proud to say that we don't we didn't pay anybody minimum wage mm. last year at all. Like we we're very proud of how we run the company. At the same time, we did have to face um, that question, like, who are we serving, right? And this year, we decided that, um, you know, listening to commentaries from around the country and around the world about how we could respond to the pandemic, one of the words that stuck out to us, well, two of them, actually, one of them was like a more circular way of thinking about economics, or like donut economics. And you can look Mm -hmm. up Kate Rayworth for her lectures and readings on that. Um, I'm not, I started one of her books called Donut Economics, and I don't fully grasp it because I'm not an economist. I'm actually a dropout. We can talk about that okay. later. But uh, but um, the other word, aside from kind of circular models, was localization. And um, we participated in this kind of online event called World Localization Day. Amy mm-hmm. found it. She's really good at kind of scrounging and foraging for resource that's helpful and we decided that you know what we're gonna we're gonna price things a little bit differently. We're gonna have a different strategy. Um, so we started, yeah, just changing how we did things. We did a bottle delivery into San Fernando. We started connecting more with with our local audience during this pandemic, and they started coming around more. I would say that it was our local um, our local regulars that floated us the last six months mm-hmm. since we've opened. We opened again, I think, in June. So uh-huh. aside from our web store, which caters to that 90% you're talking about that are visitors or repeat visitors to LU, you know, um, we, we focused here at the shop on the neighborhood and the city next door. And we realized just how valuable, well, I think we've always known just how valuable they are, but we got to appreciate it a little more. We got to spend more time with each other. They got to come around more and say, and they would tell us, you know, before it was so busy here, we couldn't get a parking space even if we wanted. Mm-hmm. Or if yeah. we wanted that chill kind of quiet coffee shop experience, it was impossible. You don't have it anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was impossible earlier this year, especially on a Saturday, Sunday. Monday through mm-hmm. Friday, okay long. But, you know, they're at work too. They can't, they, they, Saturday, Sunday is also the weekend of people from San Juan and San Fernando. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we started our baked goods, our cookies, you know, they're just, we, we rather than sell things at a, at a larger profit, we started selling things that were, you know, we started making maruya for 20 pesos and, nice, um, nice. And, co- and cookies for 40, but using, you know, good ingredients and taking yeah. a bit less of a margin because we thought, you know, we just want to make the stuff that we would want to have after a meal any yeah. day and we can afford for ourselves and our staff yeah. can afford to buy them. So, um, our staff can drink as much coffee as they want. That never changed. But things like cookies, they can afford to buy them. Some, I think we eat through half of our stock of cookies 
<laughs> just oh, wow. the staff. But um, okay. yeah, but that's just one of our, I think that's one, um, I guess, symbol of the direction we've decided to go along here after this pandemic. It's to kind mm-hmm. of try to speak more locally. Um, we stopped yeah, buying. We, we stopped buying. Yeah, yeah. We stopped buying milk that was imported. We've always bought from um, this farm up two towns north from us called Bolong Farms in Balawan. We've been a great. Okay. Uh, we've had a great relationship with them. They are a dairy farm, among other things. Okay. Um, so we focus on our milk supply with them, um, because the volume is lower. Um, we don't need to buy imported milk, and now we've kind of decided that we. It just, I don't know. Fresh things taste better, so that's one. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. Uh, so stuff like that, kind of little movements that um, we started offering our staff meal to our neighbors. So part one of okay. our during the pandemic, um, there were several features of our survival plan. So one was a universal basic income across the company, meaning whether me as a founder and like creative director of the company, or my wife who's the GM or the guy, the line cooks, we all would make the same amount of cash every every mm. every month. And that was a six-month plan. And then another feature, another currency that we labor, la- layered on top of that was, was basic essentials. So one of them was three staff meals a day. And there reached a point um, where we were starting to sell the staff meal to our neighbors who wanted affordable food. So little nice, things like that nice. were, yeah. Nice. We don't know how how long we can do that because it kind of competes with our neighbors on the compound because it's so cheap. Uh-huh. So, um, but we are continually like redefining the community, I think, and redefining ourselves and what's um, who we want to be, who we want to serve, how we want to do it. And the pandemic has definitely, um, yeah, given us new perspective, and we want to be definitely want to be more local. We want to focus yeah. more on our neighborhood. Ironically, like we've had the energy to be creative at a time when sales have been lower than they have been in recent memory. You know, we can't remember when things were this slow, but um, we see it as a time to develop that value in secret behind the scenes. And we feel that when more people can visit, it will be a richer experience for them. Something more Definitely. authentic, Definitely. like. Yeah, and yeah. a bit less, you know, of, yeah, like, a bit less contrived. Yeah. yeah, you know, it was weird because we were there um, January. We were in San Juan in January, and and we went to Clean Beach, um, mm. which is a few a few doors down from you. Yeah, and you know, I walk into Clean Beach, and it didn't feel like San Juan. It it really felt like I walked into a BGC coffee shop, mm. which was. You know, because the the people who were there, the you know the the whole community. So, so in, in I've always felt as as a local here in Baguio that I tend to start avoiding places when they don't feel like I'm welcome anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and in maybe in many ways that people from La Union, you know, they walk into a place and it feels intimidating. You know, walking into walking into a coffee shop where everybody's like dressed up and and, and mm. looking you know looking instagram nice and mm-hmm. and you know someone's playing the guitar and every it just doesn't feel like like you know you in your drab clothes will fit into this this crowd and, and you're automatically um you know you autom- even if you could could afford it you automatically feel like oh i'm not this is not my place this is you know i'm not mm. welcome here 
is there something that you're doing to sort of adapt to this to you know you're saying you're you're trying to localize uh yeah. your your business yeah yeah um insofar as coffee is concerned we live in a in a market segment of kind of the or a, a, a corner of the coffee universe that is quite um it's new and the economics aren't at a place where it's affordable to be frank like That's um, true, we're buying yeah. so yeah so we're buying directly from our suppliers incidentally up in atok and sablan they're based it's a cafe like, yagam people they have a oh they i know a, them they're my friends yeah called Capitaco. yeah 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 mm. so, um sila mariko um yeah, sila mariko, Ruel were yeah, here yeah. a few earlier yeah. this year and he was yeah the, he was involved and you know we love them they're excellent producers but um in coffee we have this challenge where philippine coffee at that of that quality versus so let's say an imported coffee it's expensive and so we have this challenge of like and then we want to we want to pay our staff well you know we want to yeah. we want to give them human hours and so it's this constant balancing act so i would say you know to be most honest i do feel like in, in my heart of hearts, I am kind of a dirt bag. Like I drive a tricycle. Um, mm-hmm. I hardly wear shoes. I had to dress up Kanina for a binyag. But, um, you know, like I'm I'm very much, you know, like you. And, you know, I think Ami used to play Frisbee in, in UP with, candy, with, your, yeah, that's right. with your candy. And you know that profile, right? Like we're, yeah. we're kind of rough on the edges as well. But for some reason... Um, I think I, I treat it like the weather, you know, I treat gentrification and social movements like the weather. Mm-hmm. Like you can get ready, you can do all that you want, but sometimes it just throws you an angle that's that you right. weren't ready for. And I, I'll be very honest, like what you were saying when you came here, that's so true. I feel that every day, like sometimes I want something more kind of grounded and closer to the, closer to the, to the dirt. <laughs> and um, that's, that's an endless challenge for people like us who, you know, we, we have these values. We do, um, you know, we're trying to be lower impact and we're trying to be more affordable. And yet at the same time, coffee that is just and equitable is expensive. Um, we, yeah. we were in London last year doing an event with Philippine coffee. And once Philippine coffee, obviously, you know, just passing a specialty grade makes it into London. It's tripled the price of Brazilian coffee of a higher grade of Panamanian wow. coffee of a higher grade because the way that we're developed as a producing country, we don't have the volumes, the I think, you know? Yeah, we don't, we don't. And it's going to be a journey. And so, you know, I'm, I'm aware of kind of the theater that we're playing in and the theater, like I want to be as authentic as, you know, these, your Southeast Asian coffee place where you know that it's, you know, it's cheap and it's, you, there's no pretenses and um, you can come as you are. But, and I feel, you know, I have to kind of constantly, again, self-examine and be self-aware because it is very easy to kind of fall into that genre where things start to feel like another place. They start to feel like BGC. They yeah. start to feel like Makati. And, um, that is a challenge we're solving. I'll be very honest about it. That that consumes us, and I lose sleep over that. <laughs> and how but can you we... know? In, in some in some ways, I really think that it's not just what you do, but 
the market also drives it you know the market tends yeah. to you know they they appear there and, and that's who they are you know that's the market yeah. that that is and and when like you said you're creating this market for locals just by balancing that you're already creating a movement towards balancing um making it less pretentious less you know yeah. bgc and more la union just by serving serving more locals essentially yeah i think food is our challenge now because coffee the prices are as they are and so to yeah. to make that sustainable coffee i think that our that society especially society that wants specialty coffee um it needs to accept that this is a wine like product this is like a craft mm. beer so the yeah. price points are gonna maybe not be as expensive as a glass of wine but we have to understand that the economics are tied to work that looks like very good vintage Creating wine. wine yeah. yeah right but um the I think that the opportunity for a coffee shop with us is Maruya, is Toron Maruya. That, that kicks ass. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I loved it. <laughs> it's um, it's yeah. cookies that people can afford. It's exploring. You know, it's um, horchata is something that um, we did by accident because we were just fucking around, to be honest. Like, um, mm -hmm. I wanted to piss off a bunch of New Yorkers that I saw in a taco joint in Manila. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, well, you know, Mexico and the Philippines has so much interplay in the cuisine. And I think horchata is just as Filipino, if you ask me. Like, they can claim lechon, they can claim adobo, tequila, and stuff. We share the same heritage and methodology for food. So I'm going to claim horchata. And I was being kind of annoying about it, the way that I'm, yeah. I'm a loud mouth at times, often. <laughs> but um, they kind of raised an eyebrow to me, at, at me. And I took that as a challenge. And I was, you know, I, I like to punch up. They were, from, they were from New York. They were kind of like, I felt like, oh, who is this like provincial kind of coffee shop dude making claims about Mexican cuisine? <laughs> and so we just went and did it. But that's um, the story of Horchata is, uh, I think it's a testament to us just trying to kind of have fun, make things that, um, make things that people enjoy but are made from local produce and can be affordable. So yeah. one of my challenges is like, how can we make it more affordable, right? How can you make yeah. our chata more affordable? How can you, um, the other questions would also be nutrition, right? Like, how can you, how can you influence that conversation? So even though yeah. we're seven years old, I still feel very young all the time as a company. I still feel like, um, I feel like we're, we're not even an adolescent yet. You know, we've only just done proper kind of, brand rules for our for our visual our our visual mm -hmm. merchandising and our coffee bags this year right we've never done it wow. it's it's all just been punk kind of diy because yeah i i kind of see the world in 10 year segments and i always saw l union as just starting even though we're 7 years and that's a pretty mm -hmm. good run already in so far as fnb goes so yeah yeah that is my challenge now. I think that our opportunity is in better food that's more affordable. That um that so that yeah, people can come and even though we are confined by certain economic realities about coffee, we can kind of push on in other areas. Right. That's right. Yeah. And maybe let's move on to your your um you know, we were talking about uh educating your kids <laughs> and yeah. now nowadays a lot of parents are they're sort of in a conundrum, you know. They 
because schools are open, but they're not open. You know, mm. you, you everybody has to send their kids through some online school, whether it's an expensive school or or a public school. Everybody's either online or homeschooling. And as someone who's gone through homeschooling yourself, and of course you you've taken this. Your kids have never been in school, right? They've never been yeah. in a traditional school of any any sense. And um, how do you see your experience yourself and your experience with your kids as uh, something that can be done for a lot of other people nowadays? Because um, personally, I went to a traditional school. You know, I went to UP and I took my master's and everything. But but there is so much to learn outside of school and. I, and I really feel like I've had some friends ask me, oh, you know, how how difficult is it, you know, to do all of this online thing? I said, you know, just give your kid a gap year. Mm. <laughs> don't, don't send them to school. Yeah. People people will survive, you know, they'll they'll be okay with a with a gap year. But but then, you know, society will say, Oh, you know, your kid has to go to school. You're, you're all yeah. of these things. They yeah. can't just be playing around and and yeah, so so maybe share some of your experiences yeah. and yeah. Before I say anything, I'd like to just put out it's a, a disclaimer or like a, a a preface that this is Kiddo and Ami's approach to school. Um, okay, okay. This is not prescriptive by any means. I respect a lot all the attempts at education because it's very meaningful to human humanity and parents, and I think that everybody's trying their best. But I'll speak candidly just so that you un- so that I can communicate why we do things. And such. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it's radical. I just think that it's honest. And um, there, I, we don't have a label on how we school the kids, except that we've kind of borrowed from a lot of commentaries from the unschooling movement. Um, a good resource there would be the um, John Holt, so you can look him up. Um, and there's a mantra that says in in the unschooling way of thinking that you know fish swim, and ber- birds fly, fish swim, and humans learn. And mm-hmm. um, what that means to say is that you can't really stop a human from learning. That's what makes a human a human. It's the fact that okay. we are voracious in our appetite for learning. Whether or not you're in an institutional school, if you were just sitting around at home for the last six months, our kids for a lot of that time were hanging around and sitting around with us. They were learning. And I think that that's a revelation to people. When... Um, and because we've subscribed to so many kind of ways of thinking that are driven by capital ideals and industrial ideals, we've, we've made ourselves believe and we've kind of joined the group think that school only happens in these industrial and capital-driven models. And, exactly. so, and so school looks more like a factory. I'll be frank about it. Um, Ken Robinson has a very easy-to-approach commentary on the late great sir ken robinson um he had he has a commentary on ted that's one of the most watched ted talks and i recommend anybody that's dabbling in kind of alternative education to look at that it's called why schools kill creativity and it's a good place to start to launch from and to kind of spider web from as you research about how to educate your kids but um first of all we it starts with this fundamental belief that we can't stop them from learning they will learn something and the school system 
was while it has produced a lot of great things, and I am to an extent a product of traditional school, at least at least until I was 12 years old. Um, it also leaves us with a lot of questions, and um, we live in a very different world, technologically speaking, from the world you or I grew up in when we were coming of age. Where yeah, you know, when we started homeschooling in the 90s, that meant there was a school in America packing a crate this big, full of books, and sending it across the world. We would wait two, three months for it. And that's kind of like your break in between years, waiting for the books to arrive. And then you get this massive box of books. And those yeah. books are, quote unquote, your education. But um, that was already a progression from schools and universities being these physical repositories of information for the human race. But with the internet, it's just not true. It's just not yeah, true. That that's, for sure. Yeah. It's not the most It just expanded everything now, you know? Yeah. And... It's not about information any longer. Like that's the irony of the information age, that the information is so ubiquitous. It's about teaching children how to navigate and learn from themselves, for themselves. And um, we, we believe so much in, in the voracious appetite of children to learn that you can't stop them. And I think that the grades that we've attached, while those can be helpful tools, we mustn't become the tools of our tools, right? Mm-hmm. We mustn't become the slave of the thing that we created. We mustn't be, be at the mercy of a system. Like if that system stops being what you want it to be, we shouldn't keep going along with it. We should ask questions about it, right? And so people tune out of school for several, re- several reasons. Like for me, I'm not that good sitting still. I, you know, I'm not that good when I'm not, using my kind of kinesthetic intelligence when I'm not using my body, I don't think well, right? And that's why the only things I really enjoyed in school were PE, art, you know, the usual things mm-hmm. that, you know, boys generally because <laughs> of, yeah, yeah. of our, because of our, because of testosterone, right? We're just, we're excited. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. rather than, um, yeah, School, school is very good for certain types of our traditional school, you know, going to a classroom with 40 kids, looking at a blackboard and translating the blackboard contents to my notebook where I'm going to go home and review those things. That's good for a certain kind of learner, but it's by no means the only way that we can learn. And I'm not trying to criticize the, the establishment. I'm trying to encourage it to be better. Right. And Things worked out this way for us, you know, where we haven't sent, and this is controversial, right? We haven't sent yeah. our kids to a formal school. Even they know that they are, that even they are careful to tell people that. Like Cadence, mm-hmm. my daughter will be like, don't tell the government that we don't go to a real school. <laughs> don't tell the Well, Pope it's not or, illegal here, I think. Yeah. Unlike in the U.S. Yeah, and there's no enforcement. I mean, unless unless general something is on the on this podcast and it's looking right. out for me. <laughs> yeah, right. But um but yeah, it's I think in the Philippines it answers a lot of questions because it it answers a lot of um economic questions and social questions. But um I am also aware that we were able to have the confidence, one, because of a, a few lucky and unlucky strokes in our lives, also because of privilege. I'm always calling out the privilege in the room. 
Um, mm. And I'm not, I'm not extremely lucky in life. I'm not extremely wealthy. My family was not extremely wealthy in life, but we were privileged. Um, I did grow up abroad. My dad had a really yeah. good job. And you can't discount that from the conversation. And I think that um, unschooling and this homeschooling has a real opportunity if we can look at our neighbors and interact with each other and compare notes more. And that's kind of the story of our school. Um, here in La Union, I met the first families that we started banding together with in this whole mm-hmm. kind of schooling journey. We met on the beach, including um, later on. So first, it was just a bunch of parents talking about talking about um, just wanting a better school experience for the kids. And then we met, I, I met Migs and Eileen Banal um, from okay. UP. I, uh, I don't know if you've met them, but they're, I met them here on the beach as well. And we got to talking about education. Turns out Eileen is a, is a teacher and they had moved to La Union. And we just thought, let's put together a school group. I've got three other families that think the same way. Um, the schools are not doing it for them. And maybe we can do something. That was three years mm-hmm. ago. And since then, um, Eileen has been a guide to the children in what has now been called, be, become the Yellow Submarine School. The kids named it themselves. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it has a private <laughs> Instagram. Eileen will let you follow. But yeah, it's, I, right. I guess it's private for a reason. Because you know, I don't know how legal or illegal it is. But it's a child-led approach. Um, there's a lot of trust. Um, Eileen, at the same time, is an expert at childhood education. She came from mm-hmm. the international school system where she was teaching for a while. And then she came from UP before that, I believe. Okay. And, um, you know, it's interesting you say this. Yeah. So, uh, sorry. Uh, it's interesting you say this because in, I mean, organized school has only been in existence for the last hundred years or yeah. so. Yeah. And um, I, I just read this book. um after government or something like that right. and and it's it talks about how pre this current time we have in England if if parents or communities wanted their children schooled essentially they were doing exactly what you were doing um you know they they right. they banded together they would you know teach their kids um whatever they were teaching their kids at the time and and do exactly what you and your community there are doing with with the children. Yeah. Yeah. People need to kind of lift that kind of that suspension of disbelief about the school system. Let's get real. This thing is a new thing. The school system new, as we know yeah. it is not is in in the grand scheme of the human story. It's not it's not how we've always done things. It was an experiment. And it happened to scale really well because governments were on board and because corporations and the industrial machine needed certain roles to be filled in the economy. But that is not what education is. Education of the human person is not more valuable because it plugs in a jigsaw piece into the industrial machine. or It, it creates cogs in 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 a bigger machine. That's, That's exactly true. Educational. Yeah. And we see that as a goal and we, we almost, there's something wrong with asking a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? But it is revealing of the one asking the question, right? 
it's it's um it tells you that we see them as not fully formed yet and the way that i see my kids first of all i see them as my equals i see the choice of becoming parents as a very important and um grave choice that we made and responsibility at that um but i alongside seeing the kids as our equals we see them as a fully formed six-year-old a fully formed eight-year-old a fully formed nine-year-old you know the industrial way of thinking has had us believe that these are not fully formed people yet until they've graduated school but like what was that arbitrary finish line for who said that that was when they get to be a fully formed member of society right of course there is science about how people um kind of how the mind develops and how the individual develops but um yeah we've kind of bought into things without asking the the right questions i think and again there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with sending your kid to a catholic school to a traditional or classical school but always ask why and then the moment that things aren't giving you sufficient answers try to create answers for yourself (laughs) try to create answers for your family and that's all that we're doing we're not trying to mess with the system we're not trying to tell people who are in a different system that their system is worse than ours we're just saying you know we're on an experiment we're on a submarine it's a yellow one and the and it sounds (laughs) like a beatles song and it looks and uh like but, what, what um, how, how do you plan to transition and how do you plan to transition yeah. your kids into let's say they want to go to college will they have to take an equivalency exam right, or right. or something like that yeah so part of my boldness in doing this is that i dropped out at grade 10 from my from my homeschooling and i went straight to work as a volunteer in a in that big church organization we were talking about earlier and from from there from then on it was music and volunteerism that became my education mm-hmm. and yet here i am you know close to two decades later and i'm doing okay i have a business um yeah. i founded the business i've integrated the right team members like we have a cpa on staff that he- that heads up our finance my wife amy did very well in her school um i I didn't do very well in school, but that was not a hindrance at all. In fact, I see it as an enabler. And there are ways to re-enter the school system. Like when I finished, when I kind of decided, I kind of faded out my school. I don't know why, how or why my parents let me do that because I was so involved in church and I was doing extremely well in church. And um, I eventually got hired by the church. But um, there was a point where I looked up how to get, in case I wanted to go to college, how to get that accredited. So I went to the DepEd. I was given the runaround over at DepEd in Pasig. Imagine being like, mm-hmm. you know, I think I was in my late teens at that point. I drove there myself. And every office I would go into, somebody would be asleep at DepEd. Wow. <laughs> and they would be like, ah, pumunta ka sa, pumunta ka sa uh, North Ed sa branch. So I drove to the North Edsa branch and they said, oh, you're in the wrong place. Pumunta ka sa Pasig branch. And I'd be like, I just came from the Pasig branch. They were asleep and they said to come here. And um, ultimately, I took a, a placement test. That was a ridiculous yeah. exam. Like It was a joke, I'll tell you now. But I just answered the questions that I knew the test authors wanted me to answer. And I passed the test. Um, mm-hmm. 
from grade one until fourth year high school. And then I took an SAT at International School Manila where you can take SATs. And that kind of served as an equivalency test if I wanted to yeah. enter, let's say, a UP or Ateneo or La Salle or whatever as a foreign student. And when I saw mm-hmm. my grade on the SAT, I realized, shit, you can pass these things after dropping out. You can do. I went to a national bookstore and bought a review book and just mm-hmm. did really well. And um, yeah, and I was really surprised at how, at how it worked out for me. And so now when I see the kids and their school and how they're going through it, if they want to enter, you remember, we don't know what university education will look like 10 years from now when it's their turn to go 10, 12 years from now. Um, the important thing is to teach them to make a way for themselves, whatever that way is to teach them to have the confidence, the hunger to learn and not be afraid. And in the event that they want to rejoin the system, they, because they've grown up making ways for themselves, they will make a way for themselves. Like I have the technical diploma from DepEd that says kiddo graduated high school. I have an SAT score somewhere that I've never even needed to use that says, okay, if kiddo wants to join a university, he can dig up this SAT score or take another one at the age of 38, right? So there are ways to re-enter the system. Whether you'd want to do that, I'll leave that choice to the kids. Like we check in with them very often and we ask them, are you happy doing this? What do you want to do? Um, So at this point, they're happy with their life. They love their school. They wake up excited to go to school with their friends. It's just in our garage. Wow, that's something. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I, I used to wake up and not want to go to school. To, yeah, a punishment to them would be like, you can't go to school. Huh? If you don't eat your wow. breakfast, you're not going to school. Yeah. And then they'll be like, no, we want to go to school. And um, if, just that alone, I think, that moment, which is common for us, it tells it tells you that at least there's joy. And I think as an outdoorsman or like me as a surfer, joy for me is like, it is the biggest driver. Like if I'm enjoying something, I can take a beat down from like a big day in the surf. I can, Mm -hmm. you know, I can, I can risk my own, my own life and well being sometimes and push myself to the edge of that for that for that exhilaration and joy. And I think we forget that mm-hmm. when we talk about school. Like these kids need to be excited about it. They need to be joyful yeah. about it. Yeah. And that and if they're joyful about learning and excited and exhilarated when they figure something out, um, they're gonna keep doing it. They will keep going for that hit. You know, these are yeah. they're gonna yeah, these are humans just like me and you. They're driven by the same things. The elements are just different yeah. sometimes. Sorry, my dogs are. It's feeding time. They're barking. All good, man. <laughs> Wait, let me just get them. Go for it, man. Go for it. There you go. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, yeah, Can for take- sure. I think I really think that we've really been sold this idea that everybody has to go to school. This is the only way to learn. This is the only path you should take, you know, um, but then like you yourself, you've, you've gone on so many different, you know, op- paths that aren't really, um, 
common in, in any way. And like you said, you're doing all right. You know, you, you have a family, you have a business. And I think a lot of people really need to to learn to see that, you know, that that yeah. there's no one path to uh, the future, you know, the future of, yeah. of whoever person that is. And, and, you know, I come from a family where um, traditionally everybody goes to college. Um, my, my mom owns a school actually. So, so she's, she's very much in that, you know, you have to go to school, you have to take the, this test, you know, uh, this, this is the way you move forward. But especially now in this pandemic where, it's really showing that the limitations of of what a traditional school can do, you know. I mean, all of these kids now, I went for a bike mm-hmm. ride uh, this morning and I passed these kids all carrying, you know, modules, <laughs> modules no. for, for school. Um, but then I, I, I'm not sure if they're actually learning anything from the modules given, you know, parents aren't equipped to teach uh and there's there's so many variables now outside of school that you know like for me it's really i've learned so much outside of school i've learned so much through my job just through traveling through all of these experiences every i you know i learned something new when i go on a bike ride and and i think we're missing out on all of that you know we're missing out on all of that in favor yeah. of what's written in a book by someone else rather than experiencing it yeah. and learning it for yourself. Yeah. I think that we've, um, we've taken the creative responsibility. We, we've divested of our, and ab- abdicated our creative responsibility for our, over, for our education. Like we've just, for the sake of expediency and simplicity, we, for, we, we don't wrestle with our thoughts about education and about our own philosophy, even as adults. Like, you're never going to raise kids that are kind of by nature philosophical and they're thinkers and they're questioning the world and critical. If you yourself as a parent don't set that example, that's our job. It's exactly. to be the guide and to kind of be a you know, to take that responsibility very seriously that we are a beacon to these kids. And if we are pushing ourselves intellectually on a daily basis, if we're pushing ourselves philosophically on a daily basis and physically as well, they will take that example. So the reason they're so excited to go to the gym and do jujitsu is because they see their mom and dad live an active life. And it goes the same. And that's why they surf is because they see us do it and the neighborhood kids do it as well. So translate that to critical thinking, translate that to education and philosophy. We need to be pushing ourselves as parents and as, as kind of elders in neighborhoods and communities and society. We need to be setting that example for kids. That's why I'm, I'm pro-Facebook rants. Eh? I'm pro-the I'm pro the public group think on social media. People shit on it uh, all the time. And I'm like, this is one of the greatest things to happen to us. Of course, it's also the toilet of the world, right? Social media is like yeah. the, the septic tank of society. But it's also where the greatest treasures are coming to the surface. And we get to, we get to sharpen each other on a daily basis. And definitely, I think that definitely. as kids see that example, yeah, if we put that practice into ourselves, 
it will be inevitable that we raise our kids with the same hunger and the same desire to sharpen themselves on a daily basis. And that's why for, for me, I'm not really afraid of how we're schooling the kids. If they did want to jump into the system, let's say one of them wanted to be a doctor and that was their driving passion. Like somehow between now and the age that they go into pre-med or med, they have certain realizations and they're like, I love health. I love, I have a sense of purpose here. This is my skill set. There are avenues and we'll, we will create the way for them to access that avenue if they need to. Right. Mm -hmm. um, if they want to be an entrepreneur, I would say just I'll help them start. A, we already have done little businesses with our kids here and there. Mm -hmm. And we've seen their entrepreneurial spirit and their um, their hunger for enterprise as well. So, yeah, you know, you nice, can trust nice. you can trust kids. You can. Um, that's what people I, you know, that's what I, I that's love my that, gripe that, with, that you said that the you way can the trust government kids. is in this country. Yeah. I love that. I love them. that. You know, yeah. you can trust humans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're and, more intuitive and, you know, than that, us. They, they... Yeah, for sure. For sure. And on sort of, um, they see things as they are, you know, it's, they, there's no, yeah. You know, it's they don't have all these experiences that will sort of bias them in 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 any direction that we all do. You know, so so kids are are in many ways the 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 raw version of all of us. You know, they're mm. they're they're the raw version yeah. of all of us, and they can they can see the world as it is. You know, they see a bad yeah. person as a bad person. Anyway, thank you so much. I think uh, I've taken so much of your time this afternoon. Um, I mean, for this whole conversation, you know, I think it's very, it's a lot of insight and a lot of people I think would benefit from this conversation we've just had because uh, it's not a singular, your experience now is probably something a lot of people are looking to to do as well, whether it's with the business whether it's moving to La Union, moving to the province, um, or even just raising their kids, you know, it's it's a very, I think, through this pandemic, it's it's something that a lot of people have on the back of their minds, and given that the pandemic is going to last till probably late next year, early twenty twenty two, it's something that's you know beneficial yeah. to everyone. Yeah, I I definitely think I can see that movement already happening, and um, I think that if there's anything that I've learned is that you you can trust yourself, you know, like you can trust you're good. We, I believe we are inherently good, <laughs> and certain things get in the way, you know. And yeah. um, before we got cut off, I was I was kind of griping about government and how we are. We are preached at this <coughs> false narrative that you cannot trust yourself. You can't trust yeah. your, your, yourself to be disciplined. You can't trust yourself to be good. And it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Because yeah. I look at my kids and we were all like that. That is our foundation. We were children. We were good people. Uh, even yeah. the worst people that I don't want to name them on this podcast, but people in government that I don't like, they were kids at some point and they were good kids. And something fucked yeah. up along the way. 
And I think yeah. that I think that they stopped believing that they were good, and they stopped believing that they could trust themselves and trust their creativity. And so they latched on to machines and systems and little undercurrents and back channels of society that they thought they would need to dominate other people. And um, it just comes from a severe lack of introspection, I think, and defining what you want in life. And that's why we wind up with authoritarianism and control. And um, education is about, it's about creation. You know, it's about participating in the regeneration of the world, I think. And when we see yeah. it in that way, it looks it looks organic. It feels hopeful, right? We're not trying yeah. to breed politicians. Not that not that there's anything wrong with being a politician, but um, yeah, there's it's just there's a creative charge. There's just, I you know it's hard for me to say it in words, but it just um, education is it's free, you know it's um, yeah, and it's. It's what we do as humans, and you can trust yourself. And um, nice. nice, yeah. I think that during this pandemic, when when people ask those questions, if should I leave Manila? Should I unschool my kids? Should I homeschool my kids? Trust yourself. Listen to yourself. Be quiet, right? Um, talk to your partner. Talk to your kids. Listen to them. You know, that's another thing. Like child-led design. Let them design their future. Give it a shot. If there's a time, now's the time. They don't need to be at school at 6 a.m. tomorrow. So try something new. So that was my conversation. The first episode of season two of The Wildcast. And that was my conversation with Kido Kosho. Um, this whole episode was recorded around November 2020. And of course, the situation truly hasn't really changed much since then we're still in quarantine we're still educating our kids online we are still suffering through um, this pandemic together and uh, at this point actually there's a surge there's a surge in Manila uh, there's a surge all over the country hospitals are full people are dying and very much so we start needing to think of ways to be able to not just survive through this pandemic, but actually live and thrive um, through this pandemic. And, and it's really interesting, this whole conversation with Kiddo where, you know, we talk about how his businesses has shifted local, how they instituted a living wage for everyone, including himself. Meaning, they paid everyone the same, no matter what their position was in their company. Obviously, it's a small company that they own, but this is, you know, this is something a lot of founders, a lot of business people, probably, I don't know if they're even willing to do this. That, you know, get the same wage as the cargador, or get the same, you as the business owner, get the same wages as. Uh, You know your cook or your or your maid. Uh, I mean, this is it's socialist maybe, but it works. You know, it's gotten them past this hard part of the pandemic. Obviously, it's not yet finished, but it got them past 2020 intact. And uh, 
shifting to catering more to locals than the tourists that you know that's something a lot of businesses especially in tourist areas like La Union or even Baguio or Shargao or all of these places where essentially you've priced out the locals and because you expect tourists can pay more and normally tourists do pay more um, but catering to the locals I mean people I've, I've been to many places in the Philippines and we are an expensive place really for tourists uh, compared to other places in Southeast Asia you go to you go to places like Bali or or Malaysia you know all of these places in Sabah or Thailand and things are not so expensive that locals won't be able to afford them but here a lot of places it feels like the prices are BGC prices or Manila prices when you go to La Union or even Sagada now and some places some some establishments there are so expensive you go to Shargao places are expensive but catering to the locals that's something that you know a lot of businesses need to do to survive and maybe it's a good thing you know it really lets you check your values and the values that you currently have uh in your business, in your company, in how you treat your people. This is, I think, the pandemic has been such a great check on everyone. What are our values? How do we think of our employees? Are they expendable? Do we want to keep them? Uh, and I've seen so many companies rise to the occasion, just like El Union. Um, but I've also seen companies that, you know, honestly, they've been bastards. So uh, it's it's a... It's a difficult place we find ourselves in where we navigate this whole pandemic. And it's not going to end this year. Trust me. It's not going to end this year. It's going to end in two years, three years. It's going to end. That's, that's the sure thing. But then it's not going to end soon. And we really need to think about our humanity, how we treat other people, how we treat our employees, how we go about our business, how can we be more sustainable in this way? And, you know, we talk about education, you know, like uh, a lot, my mom owns a school and really, I think we really need to find a way to move out of that, that idea that education is only found in schools, you know, education is everywhere. I've, in fact, it's been 20 years since I've been in college and about 15 years since I took my master's degree. And I have to tell you, a lot of what I learned, there's such a great foundation, but, and I, you know, I went to some of the best schools in the country. A lot of what I learned is such a great foundation, but I learned so much more outside of school. So much more. And it doesn't mean that it's, you know, now there's really so much information out there, you know. It's about learning how to process this information. And, and for the kids now that are stuck at home, parents struggling how to teach their kids, it's, you know, you have to think that education isn't just school. It isn't just this put them in school so that they get a good job that in, and all of these things, you know. Um, and kiddo... I have to say, he is Mr. Fantastic, Captain Fantastic. You know, he's the guy who is, his kids have not gone to school at all. 
And they're great kids. They're smart kids. They know about the world. They know how to. I mean, they know they know how to run a business because they 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 learn from their parents. They know how to surf. All of this, you know, life is an education, and and parents need to. Th- think about that. They don't need to compete with other parents. They don't need to compete with their friends, their amigas and amigos who say that, oh, you should do this for your kid. Do this, do this, do this. Um, make your own path. Make your own story. And, um, well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to the first episode of, well, the second season. This is basically our 31st episode of the Wildcast. And so far, we've had so many good uh, episodes in the last year. I was afraid that we couldn't really top that. How do you top such a great season of the Wildcast? But here we are, and we are going to try to top the first season of the Wildcast with better guests and more interesting guests, um, better conversations. We definitely invested in some new equipment that will give us some, you know, better sound quality. And uh, hopefully uh, we can get, and I'm, I'm going to make sure we get some great guests on the Wildcast for all of you to listen to all of these conversations we're going to have. And if you haven't yet, we have a new initiative that supports the Wildcast. Please uh, support the Wildcast if you can, if you have something to Help support keep this an independent production. Um, buy us a coffee. All you have to do is go to our show notes. Uh, buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee there. Uh, the link is in our show notes. And you can support the wildcast, support our production, and keep us producing these great conversations for all of you to listen to. Thank you. Till the next episode of the Wildcast Podcast.